0: Hi, everybody. It's Defend Molyneux from Free Domain Radio. Happy New Year! Woo! Hope you're doing absolutely beautifully. It is January the 2nd, 2011. I really, really, really am beginning to increasingly feel like I'm in a science fiction movie with these numbers counting up. But it is uh, it's great to be here. I hope that you have a fantastic year. Thank you, everybody, so much for your support of this show over the past half decade. Can you believe it? It's been a half decade since... um the Stateless Society and Examination of Alternatives first popped, reared its uh, typographical little head on lewrockwell.com. And it's been a fantastic ride. Uh, I can't thank everybody enough for their support and participation and commitment and enthusiasm and excitement and hostility and criticisms and anger. It has been a wonderfully kaleidoscopic uh <laughs> Tunnel tubing into the sky of wisdom, and thank you everybody so much. Now, I had a bunch of questions, uh, which I'll synthesize into one short little chat here, which is that in a, a couple of videos that I did recently, one called Despair, the other one called The Zen of the Zeta-Jones' Ass, uh, I talked about a subjectivist and a relativist being short of love in his environment, not being not being surrounded by uh, people who love him. And people called me on this, and I think that was a completely fair and right thing to do. Uh, I can't synthesize all of my arguments with my 2,000 podcasts uh, uh, every time I make the argument, but where there is confusion, I would like to clarify. So here it is, the brief reason why uh, I made that claim, and then you can let me know whether it makes any sense or whether I'm talking entirely out of my armpit. The reason that I say relativists and subjectivists are people who who say that uh, you can't know anything for certain, who say that you can't trust your senses, uh, they're imperfect, they're problematic, and so on. The reason why I say they're not surrounded by people who love them as much as they should is this. There is, in general, I think, two ways that beliefs can develop, that ideologies can develop. And there's a fair amount of scientific truth behind what I'm saying. These aren't just my opinions. The first way that beliefs can develop is organically. In other words... If you open your hand and you have a holding a rock, the rock falls down. Uh, That is, if you trip on the stairs, you fall down and you will likely get an owie which will need a band aid. I'm quoting my daughter. And so there are ways in which beliefs develop organically through the reinforcement of basic reality. There are other beliefs which do not develop at all organically. And are inflicted, uh, and these are superstitious beliefs. Uh, you know things like particular gods, or uh, you know that, that countries exist, uh, that there's such a thing as a government, the Santa Claus, the Easter Bunny, uh, Tooth Fairy, uh, Jehovah. All of these sorts of things uh, are not organically uh, developed. So the question is: Is subjectivism and relativism? I'll just call it relativism for the moment. Is relativism something that organically develops, or is it something that is inflicted? Well, I would argue that it is inflicted and not organically developed. And it is inflicted not by others, but by the self fundamentally. It is a defensive reactive formation to basically the presence of overbearing and authoritarian irrationality, usually in the form of parents, but sometimes also parents and priests and teachers and so on. So, the reason that I say this is that a relativist will say that you you can't know anything for sure, particularly about ethics. Ethics is a, a cultural or social construct, and you can't know anything for sure about ethics. So if this belief had been uh, had been uh, grown organically within the heart and mind of the person, then this would have occurred as a child. In other words, so let's say you're a kid and you're uh, playing with your your siblings and you you whack. One of the siblings with, I don't know, a big wooden block or something. Well, uh, for the relativism to be organically developed, the mother would have to say, well, uh, I can't intervene because I can't say for sure whether hitting someone is right or wrong. I can't even say for sure whether my uh, eyes have correctly processed what I have seen, my ears, what I have heard. I can't even know for sure whether my children exist. I can't even know whether I'm wearing an apron. I can't even know whether I exist And so uh, there's nothing that I can do to intervene. I'm certainly not going to impose my subjective values, in which I prefer children not to hit each other, on my children, because I don't know what is true, I don't know what is good, I don't know what is right, and I don't even know what exists, for sure. I guarantee you there's almost, I can't imagine a childhood wherein a child is never corrected because of a strict adherence to relativism. Uh, This is not what happens in people's childhoods at all. Therefore, the morals that are inflicted upon us as children, and I say inflicted not because morals are bad, but because there's not a very rational basis for morals in society, and therefore they're inflicted irrationally, which means authoritatively or authoritarianly, aggressively. So you can't imagine something like that. Uh, Can you imagine a child who breaks his mother's favorite vase saying, no, mom. You can't get upset. You don't even know if the virus ever existed. You don't even know if it's broken. And you certainly don't know whether breaking something is right or wrong or good or bad because there is nothing for sure in this universe. Can you imagine a child saying to a teacher, yes, I didn't hand in my homework assignment, but uh, I heard you say that uh, you you didn't require it to be handed in. At least that's my memory. And since everything's subjective and blah, 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 you can't even point to the assignment that was handed out where it was written down because I read it differently or I interpret it differently. That never would have been allowed by uh, by any teacher. Can you imagine a child in church saying, well, everything's relative, everything's subjective, therefore I choose not to believe in this God, but rather that God, or I'm going to worship my little toenail as a deity uh, and uh, just make my own way and do my own thing. Uh, I'm not going to go to church, Mom, because I don't know if church even exists. I don't know uh, if, if there's such a building or such a deity, or I don't know if we're at home. I don't even know if you're my mom. I mean, you understand this. This could never work in someone's childhood. Therefore, relativism must be something that is inflicted after the fact by some other mechanism. I'd like you to take one uh, little short scenario, which uh, I hope will explain it, why I'm talking about a lack of love. So let's say I'm a relativist and you're my brother and we'll call you Bob. And so I text you saying, Bob, I'm going to meet you at 2 o'clock, at this street corner downtown. And I show up at 3 o'clock. And you say, dude, I've been waiting here for an hour. It's hailing frozen frogs. What are you? What's going on? And I say, no, no, no. I, I said 3 o'clock. And you hold up your text and you say, no, 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 dude, you texted me 2 o'clock, 2 o'clock, right here. And I say, well, you know, I, there's no way to know that for sure. Uh, there's no objective reality. Our time is subjective. Uh, I, I just choose to read that as, as 3 o'clock. It's not 2 o'clock. Would you, if I said such a thing, would you say, well, that's okay because everything is relative and maybe this says 2 o'clock to me and maybe it says 3 o'clock to you and so on? No, that's not what would happen. What you would say to me is, dude, what are you doing? It says right here, 2 o'clock you would meet me. What, you, what are you talking about? Like it says 3 o'clock to you or the time is relative or nothing is real or I don't even know if we're here or not, right? Somebody who really cared about someone, somebody who really loved someone would not let that pass would not let that continue. Because that's not very healthy, mentally, to say the least. And it's incredibly frustrating to deal with somebody like that. It can be incredibly enraging. Relativism is the ultimate nuclear weapon of mass destruction of passive aggression. (laughs) Because assertions are made, and then whenever they're challenged, the person retreats into the fog of relativism. So, there's no way that someone who genuinely acts on his principles about relativism can do anything other than genuinely frustrate and baffle and bewilder and confuse and frighten the people around him. Because anytime that person is questioned or challenged or contradicted, they can retreat into rank relativism, subjectivism, and so on. And if you care about someone like that, then you follow them into that maze and you try and pull them out. Like you would would say to me, I hope that if I came at three when I said two and then pretended that I saw three instead of two on the text message, I would hope that you would say to me, Steph, what's going on with you? Why are you pulling all of this nonsense? I mean, are you scared that I'm going to beat you up if you're an hour late? I mean, I'm going to be upset. but I'm, Like, what is going on with you that you feel the need to fog and bewitch reality in this kind of way? Like, let's sit down, let's have a coffee, maybe a decaf for you. And let's talk about what's going on in your mind that you're an hour late and you're trying to pull some philosophical wool over my eyes that nothing is real and nothing is true and time is subjective and I see three and you see two. I see two and you see three. Like, let's sit down and and go over what's going on for you in your heart and in your life and in your mind that this seems like a viable strategy for you. Now, of course, you're going to say that very few people who are relativists are going to say, time doesn't exist, therefore I can't be late or whatever, right? But the reality is, if somebody holds these positions inconsistently, then that is also something that other people who care about them would really need to challenge them on. And really, like so, uh, so if somebody says, well, uh, nothing is like whenever uh, someone is criticised, they say, well, nothing is true, nothing is real, values are subjective, uh, nothing can be ascertained for certain, then. That's in one perspective I guess you could have. But if that person then ever says to somebody else, you're wrong or correct somebody else or whatever, then somebody who cares would point out, look, there's a contradiction here. There's a contradiction here between the way you're living and the values that you hold. And I think that that's going to make you unhappy. Like in the same way, like in the same way, the exact same way, that if someone you love is 300 pounds overweight and they say, I really want to diet, I really want to diet, and I'm going to follow the all-cheesecake Deep fried in maple syrup diet, which is where you have 12 of these cakes a day. What you would say to that person, if you care about them and want their health to improve and want them to not be 300 pounds overweight, you would say there's a contradiction between how you're living and what you state as your values. Like somebody says, I'm really going quit, to quit drinking, and I'm going to quit drinking by going to the bar and having a couple of beers. Then you would say, No, 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 no. It's a contradiction here. If you want to quit drinking, which I support, then going to the bar. And having beers is the opposite of that. So we need to sit down and we need to figure out what's going on for you that you're this confused about the way things really are. And that's what I mean. The, 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 the courage to intervene and to help somebody out of contradictions and errors and problems is very, very important in life. It's very important in life. And so I that's basically the argument that I was having. In my experience. Uh, This is not scientifically proven, but this comes out of a large number of conversations I've had with listeners over the years, and people in general, over the decades. People become relativists because they're raised by a crazed absolutist, right? Somebody who's an absolutist, but completely irrational. Like a fundamentalist Christian, or uh, an, an army dude, or a nationalist, or somebody who's culturally prejudiced in some fundamental way. They're crazy, and they're absolutist. And there's no possibility of overturning crazy absolutism, And so the only room that the child can find in that kind of environment, the only mental space that can be created, is to say everything's relative. You can't oppose the crazy absolutism with rational absolutism, and so you just create a general fog hoping to hide from the raining sky lances of irrational dogmas coming down on your head. And so it is an emotional defense mechanism that results from the imposition of irrational absolutes like religion, culture, statism, and so on. That's my, you know, that's my experience. It's my strong opinion. I'm happy to be contradicted. And if you're out there without this history, love to chat further about it. So, I just wanted to spend a few minutes explaining that particular approach. Relativism is not organically developed like our understanding of physics and other forms of reality. Um, relativism is something that can't be consistently lived with, and therefore the inconsistencies between the theory and the practice should be pointed out in the same way that other inconsistencies that are important between theory and practice, like diet, like exercise, like general health, um, you know, like saying, well, I want to become a doctor. And the way I'm going to do that is I'm going to go and live in a coal mine. It's like, I want to help you achieve your goals. And therefore, I'm going to tell you that being in a coal mine is not going to help you be a doctor. In the same way, if people want to achieve the truth, if people want to achieve a rational connection with reality, which is healthy and is the only place we can meet as human beings. We can't meet in fantasy. There is no intimacy in delusion. There is only loneliness, isolation, and manipulation in delusion. The only place we can ever meet, the only place we can ever connect, right? As E.M. Forster said, only connect is the key to life. The only place where we can connect is in reality. And the only way that we can consistently connect in reality is through rational and empirical philosophy. That's why I say there's a lack of love in people who allow these kinds of tragic errors and confusions and manipulations to continue. Anyway, enough of that. Let's get on with the show. Uh, I hope that you're having a a wonderful weekend. I hope that you're having a great break. Let's turn it over to the listeners and think.
1: Hey, Steph. Hi. Hey. uh, So I've been listening to FDR for about a year now, and um, I recently had a conversation with my... I'm getting massive echoes.
0: Uh, I'm not hearing any of them, so...
2: Oh, make sure that you turned off the stream um, in the chat room if you're listening. There. Uh, yeah, that's,
1: that's where it was. There, can there's you hear me next now?
2: To, there's to the left of the thing to make sure it doesn't come back
1: on. OK, yeah. You hear it now? Hello? Can, Steph, can you hear me? I sure can. OK, <laughs> sorry about that. Um, so as, as I said before, I've been listening to FDR for about a year, and um, I recently had a conversation with my father about um, spanking and the abuse that he inflicted on me, and um, basically, we we got into the discussion pretty deeply, and I mean, I, I started crying. I, I let my emotions out, and uh, he realized that I was really hurt from what happened, and um Basically he he brought up the fact that he said um, um, he said I think we could both benefit from professional help and um let's see uh and so I suggested that we, we call the show uh to talk to you because I know that you're someone who knows what he's talking about in in regards to abuse and psychology and whatnot.
0: Um, well, sorry, let me just clarify. I mean, just to, you know, to make sure that this is clear to new listeners. If your father's looking for professional help, then that's not me, right? Like professional help, like accredited psychologist or psychiatrist or social worker or therapist or whatever, uh, like that's not me, right? Yeah, yeah. I just really, I want to be really clear on that, right? I mean, so I'm, I mean, I'm happy to talk if, if you feel it would be helpful. I'm happy to bring... Some philosophy to the conversation, but uh, but my my guess is that what your dad is talking about is uh, no, long term, like therapy, like professional therapy.
1: Yes, and uh, he was he was actually when he said it, he he mentioned it in a way that was saying basically, uh, I think we both need it greatly, and uh, so I was thinking like. Well, you know, we could we could go talk to someone professionally, um, but I I suggested maybe we'll we'll talk to you first, you know, because it's uh, I mean it's a bit lower risk, and if you were helpful, then we could just donate or whatever. Um.
0: Well, I would look. I, I appreciate that, and I, I appreciate the trust that you are uh, that you're putting into what it is that I could have an input into that. Uh, but but I would strongly suggest that uh, that you do talk to. Is somebody who's um, uh, who's a uh, professional uh, in in counselling. Uh, I, th- I think that's really important. I mean, the one thing that I always try to delineate here is that uh, this show is about philosophy. Now, there are certain aspects of philosophy that are very important to happiness, around self knowledge and and so on, uh, and moral the moral delineation of uh, actions and the consistent application of universal ethics and so on. But if you're looking to explore in a sort of professional context your relationship with your father that's that's a long-term proposition i mean parent-child relationships are enormously complex and enormously deep and so uh i would suggest that that's sort of a long-term therapeutic process not a sort of bungee and bungee app out philosophical examination if that makes any sense
1: oh yeah yeah i, w- I wasn't expecting there would be that I, I just thought it would it would help to kind of get some insight first but uh Um, and so anyways, the, uh, the main reason why I'm calling is after that happened, that was last night, um, I had a very, very disturbing dream and, uh, it's not a very long dream. It's pretty straight to the point. So do you mind if I, mind if I tell you about that?
0: No, that would be all right. If you could also uh, just throw it in the Skype window or you can whisper to me in the chat to make sure I can sort of have reference to it. I'm, I'm happy to look at the dream. And uh, I'm screen. sorry to, to interrupt you. You're just cutting out a little bit for me. Do you mind if I read it just to make sure that we get the, uh, yeah. The, yeah, that's uh, the full text? Okay, so it was raining. I was in a car with my dad and brother, me in the front seat. We were on a dirt road, and the turn we needed to take was perpendicular to the trajectory of our car with several horizontal metal bars about six inches in between them directly in our path. Uh, he didn't slow down. Your dad's driving in the stream, right? Yes. Yeah, so he didn't slow down as the turn grew closer, and I yelled, what are you doing? He didn't slow down nearly enough to make the turn, turn. but we didn't run up against the bars either. We kept going in a grass field, and I'm not sure what happened, but the car didn't stop. My dad's engine shut off. What, uh, is that someone something says?
1: Uh, no, no, that I'll, I'll explain that after you read it. Okay. It's sort of... This is when my experience
0: in the dream this is when my experience in the dream turned from disbelief to outright horror, as we were fast approaching a fence like the ones behind batting cages, with even less space in between the metal pieces. All we could do was wait, and I was already bracing myself for the crash. It never came, and we stopped a few feet in front of the fence. I got out and immediately heard my dad minimizing his actions and decisions. I wouldn't I didn't want to listen, so I got out and looked at what was beyond the fence, a crevice containing white water uh can i assume that's a pretty deep crevice yeah right right yeah that makes sense okay all right all right so tell me a little bit more about the conversation that you had with your dad where you brought up uh but if you can tell me the nature of the spanking and a little bit more about the conversation you had with your dad where you brought this up and congratulations on bringing this up i know what a scary thing that is to do and, and good for you
1: yeah um okay so basically um we were we were actually talking about uh something that had to do with religion before that. He's he's a Christian. And um anyway, so, somehow it got brought up that I, I uh Except somehow it got brought up that I wasn't happy with the way that he, he treated me and how he chose to uh to uh, quote unquote discipline me. And uh, and so I, I was telling him, like, when you were spanking me, I – like, it, it was the most terrifying thing that's ever happened to me, obviously. But also, like, when he would stop, I would, I would scream, and I would do this to my mother, too, when she spanked me. I would just scream, I hate you, at the top of my lungs, and I <laughs> – I've never had such a strong emotional response since then.
0: Um, And what, I'm so sorry to hear that. What, I mean, what, spanking is a word that can be used to describe many things, right? So what, um, uh, tell me a little bit more about the spanking. What sort of, what what was going on?
1: Basically, he'd pull down my pants, um, hold me down with one arm, use a paddle on my bare ass.
0: Oh my God. Oh my God. Like a ping pong paddle kind of thing?
1: Uh, well, it was either a wooden spoon, occasionally a metal spatula, um, yeah, just, just things like that. Uh, a pasta, pasta stirrer.
0: Um, My God, that must've hurt like a motherfucker if you don't mind me saying so. (laughs) Yeah, it did. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a pretty unbearable kind of pain. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a very tender area, right? Yeah. And of course, there's this terror, right? Because you, you want to not be hit, but you feel if you squirm, it might go worse because you might miss and hit something else, right?
1: Yeah. And there there actually were times when I tried to move. Uh, I guess that was probably later on when I was a bit stronger, where I would move and then he would yell at me to hold still or, or you know, just keep going longer because I moved. And,
0: and uh, how often did this occur?
1: Well, uh I, I don't really know because it was just well, so roughly. Long ago I mean, it,
0: I, just roughly. I mean, was it once a year, once a month? I mean,
1: um, I would say like once a month, maybe once every two months.
0: Right. And were there other forms of uh, uh, assaults uh, against you, or was it mostly just the spanking?
1: Um, it, it was just spanking.
0: And uh, what about uh, verbal aggression?
1: Uh, well, he wasn't a very verbal, aggressive, verbally aggressive person. But I mean, well, no, no, I, I don't want to say that because I don't think, or at least in my experience, spanking doesn't come with just a, uh, you know, no words spoken, just get down and I'll hit you, and we're not going to say anything. It's always, or it always was for me. It always was a, uh, you know, I'm doing this because I love you. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. Uh,
0: Go ahead. It's okay. This
1: hurts me more than it hurts you.
0: Right. I'm thing. not doing this out of anger. Right. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, tell me what you're feeling.
1: Oh, I'm feeling the same thing I, I was when I was talking to him about this. Just. I feel weak. <laughs> I feel feel powerless
0: right and helpless and humiliated and all those things that go along with this kind of uh, this kind of stuff right yeah right and rage right oh yeah like I mean I'm not making that up because you said I hate you right I mean when this was going on or afterwards right Yeah. Right. Right. And I would imagine these left marks, right?
1: Well, uh, I didn't exactly look, but uh, I'm sure...
0: It must have been pretty tender for a while afterwards, right?
1: Yeah, like it... uh, Yeah, I'm certain there was red
0: marks at least. Sure, sure. (sighs) And do you have any idea of what age you were when these began...
1: let's see um well it started with um my mom was the first one to spank me i'm i'm fairly sure of that and that could have been as early as age four i would guess
0: and when you say four do you mean that you have a memory of these not occurring earlier or you can't remember earlier
1: well, um, I do have a couple memories of before oh, – well, I'll just explain. Age four is when I moved from a condo into the house that I live in now. And so I only have like two or three pictures in my mind from before that time. So that's basically
0: right. – yeah. Right. Okay. And when did this uh, – uh, I assume that this has stopped. And, and when did it stop? Or peter out, I guess.
1: Um. It stopped when. Uh, I mean, I, I remember there was a time when. Um, my mom would, like, she, she gave me—I think—more spankings than my dad, but they weren't nearly as hard, and she didn't go nearly as long. So. Uh, did
0: she use uh, her hand, or did she use implements?
1: Uh, she she used implements, but. Uh, I think she probably also used her hand at some point. But anyways, sorry, what was the question?
0: Um, When did it stop?
1: Okay. um, Or when did it stop? Mm -hmm. Okay. uh, uh, The last time I remember my mom wanting to spank me was, like, I did something that she didn't like, I guess. I was probably, like, ten. Yeah, around that age. And... Uh, she kind of like jokingly took out a feather and like spanked me after she said she was gonna spank me. So, so I, I, that's
0: um. Yeah, yeah nothing, that's I guess that's I guess than where, that. she,
1: where she realized that she didn't have the power to spank me anymore.
0: Why didn't she have the power to spank you anymore?
1: Well, I mean, physically. Because so you were too big. I, yeah, I, I think the time, the time before that, she tried to spank me. I. Either ran away or like stayed down. And while she, um, while she kind of charged up for the hit, I just ran away.
0: And isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing how parents can find out of thin air, they can find wonderful alternatives to spanking the moment you get big enough to fight back. Oh, God, (laughs) isn't that amazing? Just it's like. It just the, the knowledge about how to parent without spanking rushes into their heads the moment that you become big enough to avoid or fight back. It's a miracle. But go on.
1: Right. Yeah. I, I, I hadn't even thought about that before, but that's that feather thing was definitely a memory that stuck with me.
0: Sure. 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 All right. Alright. So both your parents were down with this these kinds of assaults, right?
1: Yes. And uh I actually have been thinking about this lately. And um uh, my the, the relationship between my mother and father was sort of like uh my dad just kind of uh he has never really been that much into Christianity. Which is supposedly where they get their justification for doing this. Um,
0: Your dad has never been um, that much into Christianity. Sorry, I just want to make sure I follow that.
1: Yeah. Um, okay. Well, basically, like he'll he'll say he's a Christian, and like if someone asks, he'll say he's a Christian, but he doesn't doesn't go to church. He doesn't uh, do anything like that. Um, he doesn't really hang out with other religious people. But my what well, the reason I'm bringing that up is because my mom would say things like. Uh, like, I remember her asking him to spank me. And I'm sure that at least one of those times she had said to him, It's more, it's going to be more effective if you do it. Right. So, so. Because you're so, stronger,
0: right? Is that what you mean? Like, you're tea stronger.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And more frightening, and right.
1: Yeah. And, uh, and so basically. I, I don't I don't want to kind of get into this now cuz I mean I could talk about this my whole background for hours but she stopped living with us and as soon as that happened like we stopped going into church we stopped mm. like
0: th- So, did your parents divorce or separate? You said she stopped living with us.
1: They they separated, yeah. Not divorced.
0: Okay. Okay. And when how long ago did they separate?
1: Um that was when I was in six
0: this oh, number of years ago, I'm just sort of curious
1: okay um I suppose six years, maybe seven years
0: right, but they're not divorced no, is that because divorce is wrong in their church
1: uh, Yes, and partly because um well i mean she she's in a group home in a different state,
0: so and Why is she in a group home?
1: Um, well, she's diagnosed with schizophrenia.
0: Oh uh, right, okay. okay. Sorry to hear about that. Oh yeah. I appreciate that. Right. Okay, so I, I appreciate that and I you know, my heart aches. My heart just aches for what you went through. That is terrifyingly tragic. Um, the, what I, I mean, I oppose violence against children at every level, from the intergalactic to the subatomic, atomic. Um, and one of the reasons that I've, I find it so appalling, I mean, a, a, aside from the moral dimension, which I mean, I've made myself really clear on that, is the degree to which it is an, it, it is an invasion and taking over of your nervous system. It is an act of invasion. And I consider it almost like demonic possession. Uh, in that you are no longer in control of your own stimuli. Yeah, it's I, like it's you know you know you, you know what I'm talking about, right?
1: Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's I felt like I, I just wanted to scream out and and just inflict pain on on so many people.
0: Yeah, <laughs> because you no right? longer own yourself, right? It's like if right. I tie you down and I put like really loud music and headphones and your ears i now own your brain because my stimulus is taking over your identity and that is what occurs and i think is one of the lasting damages that occurs from these kinds of attacks is the degree to which self-ownership gets kind of shredded
1: yeah and uh yeah i've definitely uh partly through listening to fdr partly through introspection i I've, I've sort of figured out ways in which that stealing or uh dominating of my identity has led to me being a pushover and just generally unassertive
0: right right yeah i mean it is a kind of slave training for sure and um so i i mean because i generally trace ideologies back to childhood experiences uh uh, at least until somebody's done significant work on themselves. Uh, I commend you on maintaining the value of self-ownership. Like the, the degree to which self-ownership is is destroyed through physical and sexual abuse and to a smaller degree through verbal abuse is, is staggering. And uh, so when when I come across people who have problems with the concept of property rights or self-ownership, all I see is the big brand physical or sexual abuse on their forehead, that the concept of self-ownership is entirely threatening to them because it evokes too much pain from their history. That's my experience and opinion. And so I commend you on maintaining the value of self-ownership despite these kinds of uh, astounding invasions of that, that space.
1: I think you're absolutely right about the property rights thing because me, both me and my brother, used to go down to uh, the local circle K or Kmart and from Kmart, we'd steal Pokemon cards back when we were kids and I would go to circle K and steal candy all the time.
0: Sure. Yeah. I was a, I was a shoplifter when I was a kid too. Uh, not, not for long and not a huge amount, but it definitely occurred. And it's because, I mean, the concept of respecting property of respecting the ownership of others was so unbelievably painful to me deep down that I, I couldn't act on it.
1: Yeah and that that sort of makes sense now looking back
0: well and then of course uh, the other thing that occurs is uh you know basically well fuck society right i mean, society is letting all of this happen society is approving it society is friends with my parents so why the hell should i ab- obey any of society's rules i mean society is uh you know a a shit heap of collusion with people who are doing me great harm so uh yeah so i think there's that alienation from from society as a whole, and that's the price that society pays. So, criminals are the price that society pays for non intervention in, in child abuse. So not that I'm calling you a criminal, right? I'm just saying that if things had gone further, or if you'd have been a different kind of person, or if you'd made different decisions. So.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I think about that a lot how, how close I was to.
0: Oh, me too. Yeah, I could, have taken, I could have taken a seriously dark road, particularly with my verbal skills. Uh, I could have done some real damage to the world, I'm sure of that. Oh, yeah. So. Alright, should we get back to your dream if that if that helps? Oh no, no, sorry. Before we do that, um if you can just tell me a little bit more about how the conversation went with your dad.
1: Oh yeah, okay. Um so yeah, I I told him I I reminded him that I I would scream I hate you, and I, I, I tried to try to sort of get get him to understand how terrible that was. And I, I think I, I remember how we got into this part of the conversation. It was me discussing his own father's abuse of him, because I knew that his. Because once, when uh, this was a while back, when I brought up the fact that he spanked us, he would say, "Oh, well, you know, my if you were in my dad's house, he would do this, and you know, it was so much worse." And uh, so I, I was I was talking to him about the fact that he'd actually experienced the abuse he'd he knew how horrible it was and yet he turned around and did the same thing to his children usually under pressure from my mother like there was never a time that I remember when he spanked me and when my mom wasn't around
3: huh
0: that's interesting yeah and look I mean uh, it's it's important not to to paint with too broad a brush so to speak but I think that the degree to which um women who are traditionally not raised to be actively aggressive themselves, the degree to which women provoke or stimulate, so to speak, men into acting out their own rage, uh, it should not be underestimated. That's sort of what I'm sort of, I'm with you on that one. I think that uh, a lot of this is why I people, sort of see, well, oh, my dad was this, but my mom was, was nicer in someone, right? Like you've heard those, probably those shows where I talk about the parent who gets away from the, moral evaluation of the situation. Uh, parenting is a system, uh, and there is 50-50 responsibility in parenting. No parent gets uh, off the hook morally. And, uh, yeah, women can – and I, I just say these as sort of traditional gender roles. It could be either way, but uh, I've sort of seen a fair number of situations where uh, the woman is, uh, you know, wait till your father gets home. And then when the dad gets home, it's like, you should have seen what so-and-so did. I'm so angry. I'm so upset. and You need to do something about it. And, right, just provoking the man to the man sort of okay, well, not that the wow. man is not responsible, but but if that makes any sense.
1: That, that's exactly something that's happened to me before.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. So I think that's, um, I think that's, uh, I think that's an important thing to, to process and remember. Okay. So your dad said what I, what my dad t- did to me was much worse than what I did to you. Is that right? Yes. And so he and said I, that it, so basically he admitted that it was bad. Um, right. Cause if I say something, if i say well i stole less money from you than my friend stole from me i'm still saying i stole stuff from you right less bad does not equal good right
1: yes but he he was and the, this this reminds me of the listener conversation that you had the other day where where the guy was sort of saying his parents were stupid um he he cleverly doesn't doesn't actually come out and say yes i abused you like he he never He'll, he'll never, he'll never go out and say it. He'll, in fact, he'll, he'll never even use the word I and what took place in the same sentence. And I think that's just a masterful, uh, emotional avoidance there.
0: Right. It's, uh. You know, I always, I always sort of feel like if only all of this intellectual energy called defensiveness and avoidance and blaming could be harnessed for the power of good, we could truly light up the planet. You know, but unfortunately, it's, it's all too rare. All right. So, um, and and he talked about his own experiences, right?
1: Um, yes, uh, not so much yesterday, but uh, we've had a conversation before where I. I, I didn't sort of emotionally break through and feel experience the emotions that I did back then, so it wasn't as powerful of a conversation. But uh, he he did describe that um, you know he, he his dad would hit them on places other other than the butt, other you know.
0: Right. And what was his opinion? What did, what was your sense of his opinion about his own spanking?
1: Well, I mean, he admitted he hated it.
0: Well, of course. I mean, you're supposed to hate it, right? I mean, it's not like a piece of candy, right? (laughs) That doesn't tell you anything, right? I dislike punishment is not much of a confession, right? That's what punishment is designed for, right? Right, yeah. Um, So he didn't say anything else about...
1: Mm, not, Not that I remember, no. I don't think there's anything else... And did he, did he, um,
0: did he, sorry to interrupt, did he ask you at all about, uh, you know, tell me more about your experience? I don't even need to ask that, do I? No,
1: no, it, it's, he, he knows when to just wait for me to, to keep going and, and uh, no, no, he's, he's not, if, if I hadn't kept going, the conversation would have stopped, you know, in a matter of minutes, as opposed to like a half hour.
0: Right. And this is something that is um, a a, a defense that's important to be aware of. And I'm not saying this to you because you're aware of it, but just to other people who are going to listen in or who are listening in now, which is when you bring up an issue with someone, then they talk about how they feel. And then if you sort of say, well, we're not here talking about how you feel, then they'll say, oh, what? So I can't say anything. It has to be all about you. That doesn't seem like much of a conversation. Right. Yeah. Like, there was a guy on the board the other day who was posting a story about how he felt his, his, um, one of his, his sister was, uh, not, uh, keeping his, her kids protected. And he started talking about this and she's like, Oh, I can't listen to you. You're making me feel like a bad mother. Right. So it becomes about, about her feelings, not about the safety of the kids or his experience or anything he might have to input. But then it just becomes about, you know, it's, it's sort of like this, like you're having a conversation with someone on a pier. And they come you say something they don't like, and they throw themselves in the water and pretend to drown. What the hell are you supposed to do then right just just keep having the conversation as if they're not pretending to drown do you do you jump in and save them and then that conversation is over i mean it's it's a great though terrible defense mechanism because your experience i mean and it's sort of an emotional this is not to say physical of course it's sort of an emotional recreation of the spanking, which is in the spanking you you your father's Feelings of, of anger or justice or, or retaliation or uh, aggression or rage or whatever, that's what's driving – it's his feelings which dominate that interaction. And in the same way, when you talk about your history with, with these kinds of assaults, uh, his feelings again, his in memories, his feelings, his experience, his thoughts, his justifications again dominate the conversation, right?
1: Exactly, yeah. And so and actually, that, that I think that – now that you mentioned that, I think that was the main thing that changed this most recent conversation that we had. Where it's it sort of it was all about me when I talked with him yesterday. What do you mean? Well, I, I mean, I wasn't talking to him about uh, about how he felt or like I, I didn't ask him detailed questions about uh, about what he, he experienced with his dad because he he'd already like I'd already understood that, um, that he, he hated it. And he, he had never actually made a moral judgment on, uh, on whether or not his action, father's actions were right or wrong, probably because he didn't want to make a moral judgment on whether his actions were right or wrong.
0: Right. right. Yeah. You know, it is, uh, uh, again, I hope this isn't a tangent, but I just want to want to place your experience and conversation in perspective, which is, you know, when, um, uh, so I, I went uh, uh, for 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 brunch yesterday with uh, with Christina and Isabella, and I ordered a latte, and they brought me my latte, and the latte was like lukewarm, and I like me a nice hot latte, I really do, <laughs> and uh, um, and so I you know I said to the waiter and I said I'm sorry to be a pest, but you know this this is cold. If you could uh, have them remake it, I'd really appreciate it. And he gave me a bit of a look, like I'm busy or whatever, and, and that's okay. I mean, I've been a waiter too. I know what it's like but he got me a new uh, a new latte. And this is some stranger who I'm going to tip 5 bucks, right? Some stranger doesn't even know me. But he puts his own feelings of annoyance to one side and focuses on my needs, right? Some stranger. And oh man, I mean we always expect <laughs> Right, we're always told family is everything. That no one will ever love you like your family. <laughs> to which I utter with regards to my family, thank the gods for that. <laughs> right, but um, uh, you know, but, but generally, not always, but generally, families treat each other much worse than strangers, depending on a five dollar tip, do. Right, so can you imagine me saying to this waiter, "Listen, I'm sorry to be a pest, my my latte is is not is, is lukewarm," and I, you know, if you could, f-. and would be like, "Oh yeah, well." Look, I haven't even had a latte this morning, and my feet are aching, and uh, I was up half the night, and I feel a little unwell, and I have to work on New Year's Day.
1: Well, you're not going to go to that place anymore, I guess.
0: Yeah, but you'd be like, your jaw would drop. Yet, family does the same thing when we bring up complaints, or, or husbands, or wives, or friends, or teachers, or whoever, and we like we don't even notice it.
1: Yeah, back then I didn't notice that at all, back when the abuse was going on.
0: Right. And this is what is so tragic, right? Uh, Which is is when when I would sort of go through this process of evaluating family and say, well, I mean, look, you're just at the beginning of the process, right? So I'm talking about me towards the end of a process, which, you know, may or may not be how your process goes. But I sort of said, okay, well, if my family treats me worse than a waiter does, then uh, (laughs) – You know what's what, what? What am I here for? That was sort of my my basic question. So, so that's again, that's just something to 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 mull over. But uh, it sounds like you had a more productive conversation with him, and then you said you had this this dream, right? Yes. That night.
1: And is your and brother
0: the... older or younger?
1: Uh, he's younger by two years.
0: Right. And um, was his experience similar to yours?
1: Well, you know, I haven't really talked with him very much about this. I know that since I was the oldest child in the family and my mom wasn't living with us after when I was in fifth or sixth grade, I know that I received the, by far the most spankings. Right. So, And, and I, I also, um, like uh, I have a sister too, and she I think only got spanked two or three times. So I'd assume my brother got spanked, in the middle somewhere in the middle between me and my sister
0: right okay so uh, let's do the dream i think now we can do it very quickly um not that i'm in a big rush but okay so you're uh you're in a car your dad is driving well that's the family right so your dad's in control of the conversation, in control of the family. You're on a dirt road. The turn we needed to take was perpendicular to the car, right? So it's like um, it's like a T, right? You're driving along the top of the T, and you need to turn 90 degrees, right?
1: Yeah, and I just want to say that I, I wrote down the turn that we needed to take, but in the dream, I actually had no context of, like, what we were doing. I just had a very strong feeling that we should turn right.
0: Right. Now, this is important. Everything in a dream is important, and we could spend a long time on it, but I just want to give you the, the broad outlines, again, just as my amateur idiot mind sees them. Uh, it's that, look, if you said, like, so you're on a you're on a, a road, and you're saying, we should not go forward, we should not go backwards, we should essentially go the opposite of this road, right? So the opposite of a, of a direction you're going in a road is, if you're going north on a road, the opposite is not south, because south you're still on the road, right? Yeah, if you do sense. a U-turn, you're still taking the same road. And so what you're saying is we need to go the complete opposite of the direction that we're going in, which is not the other way, right? So uh, if your dad's making it all about him, to go the other way would be to make it all about you. But you yeah. say, no, no, we we got to go the complete opposite thing, which is to get off this road completely and go in the direct opposite direction of this road, which is 90 degrees, right? Yeah. All right, so there are horizontal metal bars, six inches in between them, directly in our path. Is that right?
1: Yes, and the reason why I can't quite, I I
0: quite picture that, I don't know exactly what that well, looks like.
1: Okay, yeah, I wrote this right directly upon. No, way, no, no,
0: no so problem, it's no problem. A
1: little jumbled, but uh, it, it's basically like a a gate for a cow pen or a horse pen.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I understand. I got it. I got it. Well, these are defenses, right? Yeah. Right, I mean, the, the unconscious can be quite playful, right? So they're called defenses, and you're looking at defense, right? It's defense, right? You, Def- <laughs> Sorry, right? I'm, I'm serious. I'm serious, right? It's defense, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Never underestimate the intelligence and playfulness sometimes, even in the most serious of matters of the unconscious, right?
1: Oh, my God. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Yeah.
0: He doesn't slow down. Right. And uh, as the turn grows closer. Right. Mm hmm. And so uh, so what this means is that as you get closer to the defenses, the fear escalates. Right. Yes. And this is, of course, what you experience whenever you get close to somebody's defenses. Everybody, you know, shits themselves, frankly. Right.
1: Yeah, and and he uh, he has a sort of a sophisticated way of shooting himself in these conversations. But yeah, yeah.
0: But uh, well, you and him, and right. I mean, it's very very stressful getting close to people's defenses. Yeah. Okay, so you you magically get through the defenses, and you keep going in the grass field. You're not sure what's happening, but the car didn't stop. Now, my dad's engine shut off. What is that?
1: Okay. Yeah. Th- that's where where I, I wanted to kind of add that because I thought it was important. Um, I, upon waking, just as I said, I had no context of why we should turn right, but I wrote, we need to turn right. Just as I, I wrote that, I, when I was originally writing the dream, I wrote, um, my dad's engine shut off. But really, all I knew in the dream was that he wasn't steering, he wasn't hitting the gas, and he wasn't hitting the brakes. So, I, I so think, the
0: engine just kind of died, is that right?
1: Well, no, 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 no. That, that was that was a, something, a, when, I, when I wrote it down, that wasn't actually totally accurate.
0: Okay. Like, okay. I,
1: I don't even know that that was what happened. All I know for sure, he wasn't steering, wasn't hitting the brakes, and wasn't hitting the gas.
0: All right, okay. And that's pretty terrifying, right, if you're in that situation? Yeah. So again, there's a kind of escalation, right, like a warning, right? okay so yeah. you're you're approaching a fence like the ones behind batting cages right uh-huh well, batting cages is where you hit something round with an implement right yeah, which is spanking right wow uh that's sounds... in fact, i mean, given that we talked about the squirming and you you know, you you might even end up hitting balls right. And your dad said that he got hit not just on the buttocks, which means he might have taken some shot to the nads as well, right?
1: Yeah, that's that's possible, yeah. I mean, yeah, uh, what, basically what I was uh, – I'm sure there's some, some significance of what you just said. What, what I – the reason why I wrote the, the uh, differences between the fence uh, – fence distances, I guess, between the bars was that we went through one where – Obviously, there was some way for us to get through it. But then the second one, it was completely, you know, like impenetrable.
0: Got it. Yeah, and there's, there's no reason why it can't be both. And there's absolutely, you know, you should always take your own interpretations over anything that I say because it's your dream and it's your history and it's your unconscious. I'm just I'm throwing balls over the walls trying to hit a bucket. So, you know, obviously take your own. But there's no reason why it has to be one or the other. If you get yeah. to the, the, the physical violence um, – and what your unconscious is saying is, uh, from where we stand, in my opinion, from where we stand, the defenses around the unconscious, sorry, the unconscious defenses around the spanking uh, or the hitting or the assault is uh, is impenetrable.
3: Hmm.
0: And you're th- it's interesting because the bars. Uh, it's interesting the bars. For the cattle fence are big and thick, whereas the wire mesh, I know it's that kind of interlocking wire mesh. It looks like a graph paper on its side, right? Uh, yeah, Yeah. Those are much smaller, but actually impenetrable, right?
1: Yeah, like I got the sense that it was impenetrable in the dream, definitely.
0: Right. So the bars are smaller. In other words, they're minimal relative to the other bars that you first went through. The bars are smaller. And what does your dad start doing? He starts minimizing
1: Yeah, as soon as we get out of the car, she starts minimizing.
0: Right, right. So, again, (laughs) the bars are smaller and your dad is minimizing, which is saying that the defenses may look less aggressive, but they're actually harder to penetrate. In other words, the bars aren't nearly as thick, but they're much more impenetrable. Does that sort of make any sense?
1: Yeah, yeah, I I see what you're saying with that, yeah.
0: So what's beyond the fence? A crevasse? or crevice containing white water. Now, does the white water mean like it's rapids?
1: uh yeah and n- not so coincidentally it was raining yesterday so <laughs>
0: right and what popped into my head when you first read that and looking at it again the image is even stronger what i get from white water and your dad minimizing his actions is the phrase white wash
1: What, what will you, will you kind of flesh that out a little bit? I'm not sure I understand. Sure.
0: Well, uh, to, to whitewash something is to minimize the problem. It's, to, it's a cover-up. To it's it's whitewash means to um, – uh, let me just – I'm going to find the, the actual definition here because I okay. uh, I, uh, I don't want to try and make one up. Uh, sorry, whitewash. I think it's slang. I'm not sure if it's slang for sure. Let me try definition. Ah, the internet. Okay, so whitewash, concealment or palliation of flaws or failures, to conceal or gloss over wrongdoing, for example.
1: Yeah, and that—that's—that's that's exactly what happened yesterday. In that, uh, basically. His excuse, his uh, minimization was, well, you know, I didn't understand that you were feeling this extremely during the time of the abuse. And I said, okay, huh. well, uh, I mean. Screaming, screaming that I
0: hate you, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a clue, right?
1: There's a small clue. And, uh, and sort of, uh, I, I sort of expanded on that and I said, um, like, so, so during the time that the abuse could actually be dealt with and stopped. Like now it's too late. Now I can, I could defend myself from him, obviously probably even take him out if I had to. But, uh, I, during the time where you thinking about this could have had some impact and could have prevented more abuse, you just kind of ignored everything. But then later when I, I mean, when that's no longer a plausible situation, now you're suddenly saying, oh, well, I didn't understand before, and uh, it's so clear to me now, and, like, uh, yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's just disgusting to me.
0: Right. So, um, also, um, w- water goes down rapids. Have you ever done that sort of you know, whitewater rafting or anything like that?
1: Uh, no, no. The only closest thing I've gotten to that is just going down... A- slight river.
0: And did your dad take you to water parks or anything when you were younger?
1: No, but we did like wade in in creeks and rivers sometimes.
0: Right. Well, the one thing that's true uh, about white water, of course, I've done white water rafting. When I was an entrepreneur, we took the company uh, as a sort of thank you for a big project. We took everyone to a, a campground for a weekend and uh, we did white water rafting there is that uh the, the water is is re- going incredibly rapidly when it's churning white through a crevasse right so it's, it's it's got a lot of water pressures going through a narrow crevasse and so you get this thundering and jumping and shimmering white water does that sort of fit with what you saw in the dream
1: yeah yeah it was powerful
0: Right. So so what that means is that, at least in my opinion, right, for me, water always represents the unconscious, or at least that's the first place you would look. And it means that uh, your dad's unconscious is doing a heck of a lot of work to do this whitewashing and minimization. And that's sort of my, you know, I hope this isn't just to prove my theory, right, that people work incredibly hard and incredibly brilliant in these defenses. But I think it sort of seems to fit that the water is going incredibly rapidly. Uh, and there's a lot of energy in that water, and that, to me, would be that these minimizations and uh, of his actions and decisions is a hell of a lot of work. And if you see that, uh, it's it's going to be a challenge, right? Well, yeah. I mean, and, you do see it, right?
1: And, and also, the one thing that I'm remembering now is that it actually wasn't the crevice that scared me. It was the water itself.
0: Right. Right. Well, because of course, when the water's going that rapidly, what happens is the crevice gets deeper and deeper, right? Because it keeps churning away against the rocks and making it deeper and deeper. So, uh, yeah, it's true. Anyway, that's a it, that's a. a, a bre- I mean, you could do more, and I'm sure you can you can do more. And, and again, just toss out anything that I say that doesn't sort of fit with your emotional apparatus. But that's the take that I would have uh, on the dream, just at sort of first pass. So I think it fits very well. And I think the important thing to ask is what is your unconscious telling you about what's going to happen in the future? Uh, I think your unconscious is not uh, saying that there's a lot of optimism to be expected, but uh, um, I think it's still, um, because you're still in the scene with your dad, I think it's important to stay in the conversation with your dad. You know, I mean, if your unconscious was saying, you know, your dad is a demon, run, 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 which obviously is not, then my advice would be different. But given that you're still in the car and you're still looking in the crevasse and you're still sort of trying to fathom this and your brother's in there, so it's a family.
1: I'm sorry to interrupt you, but uh, we actually, like, before we hit the fence – or, oh, no, sorry, we didn't hit the fence. Before we stopped, we were getting out of the car, and that's when he started to minimize.
0: Sure. 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 And, uh, yeah, that's right, and that's that's because – because you said that the, he was not driving, he was not steering, he was not hitting the brakes, right? Yes. So, uh, so his authority is diminishing, right? Because he's not driving the car, right? So once you get out of the car, then you're more on equal terms and so on, right? So when he's driving, uh, he's in control and you're a passenger and all you can do is sort of shriek in terror as he drives at the defense or whatever. And uh, so, yeah, so once that sort of doesn't work as much anymore and you take a more adult role – in, in the conversation, then uh, he's not driving anymore, right? You're both on on the you're both on the ground out of the car, where you're more equal. If that makes sense.
1: Yeah, and that's that's when like I I started to hear like, like I don't even remember the words he was saying. All all I got was just this powerful feeling that oh, he's just making excuses. Like I don't need to listen to this. I've heard all this thousands of times.
0: Right. And of course, the question which always pops into my head, because of my extreme fetish for universalization, is, uh, okay, so if making excuses for your behavior is morally acceptable for you as an adult, why was it not morally acceptable for me as a child? Like, if, if I did something, quote, wrong, was I allowed to minimize and make excuses and blame someone else, right? Like, well, my dad, whatever. Well, right? Then if the answer was no, and of course it wasn't no. Uh, Then the question then becomes, well, why do you have much higher moral standards for a four-year-old than you do for a 40- or 50-year-old? Yeah. Why does your dad get to make excuses for things that he's done that are objectively wrong when you didn't get to make excuses and be forgiven for things that were merely subjectively disapproved of? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's an important question.
1: I mean yeah because i never I never got spanked for like major things you know I was just, the only the only things I remember getting spanked for was either like like disobeying some trivial order, like not you know not staying with the shopping cart when we 're shopping or you know just, just little things like that, little petty things
0: right right right, so again i just I just want to really pound this in, and i I, I know you get it, but i 'm sure that there are defenses so your your inner dad doesn 't want you to get it, right, which is So if you're allowed to make excuses for these kinds of assaults and I'm supposed to forgive you, then why was that rule not available to me when I was four years old? If that's okay behavior, if that's good, if forgiveness is good and making excuses is valid, then why didn't you forgive me and why was I never allowed to make excuses?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So anyway, that's, uh, that's my thoughts. Now, listen, I know we've spent a lot of time on this, and I'm sorry to cut it short because, I mean, what you're doing is very important. Uh, I would, um, you know, no one can tell you what to do with your family, and that's something I always say. But I can tell you what I would do if I were in your shoes. Okay. I would uh, ask my father to uh, to chip in for or pay for some therapy for myself before I entered into into group therapy. Or into sort of therapy with, with my father. Okay. I just say, look, there's stuff I need to get square and I need to get straight. See, look, couples therapy, and I hate to put it that way because I'm mean, obviously you're not a couple, right? And this is just my opinion, right? But couples therapy are for two people who are voluntarily in a relationship and who chose to be with each other as adults. That's what couples therapy is for. So they're both responsible for that marriage, right? Two 25-year-olds get married and they, they go into couples therapy because one person can't say, well, I'm not here by choice. One person can't say, well, I didn't choose this person because they, they, they both made choices, so they're both you know responsible for the relationship, right? But yeah. it's not how it is with parent-child. It's not how it is with parent-child. You did not choose your father. You did not choose to be there. You did not choose his personality. You are virtually not at all responsible for the quality of the relationship. And therefore, for you both to go into counseling, to me, there's sort of an implicit thing there. Like, well, we both have things to work on. No. Yeah, yeah. And No, and was- you didn't spank him. <laughs> you didn't hit him with a goddamn wooden spoon on his ass for nothing. It's not equal. It's not co-responsible. It's not 50-50.
1: Wow, yeah, that's that's a powerful insight and and that, that is a, explains... that is a defense
0: that he's putting in. Sorry, that's a defense in my in my estimation, right? That he's putting in to saying, well, I guess we both have issues. No, 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 no. The tail doesn't wag the dog, right? Parents are almost completely responsible for the quality of the relationship that develops with children. I say this as a parent. <laughs> I know. I mean, my daughter can, you know, all she can do is protest, right? But So I I would, again, this is not any kind of professional advice. I'm just telling you what I would do, is that I would utterly, utterly, utterly reject the idea that it's somehow 50-50 or, you know, we both need to work on things in this relationship. And I've heard this before. Like, parents do this amazing thing but they say, well, I guess we both have issues. Let's, you know, let's work on it as equals. It's like, no, 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 no. I, I never changed your diaper, uh, you know. I, I, I wasn't born into your household with no opportunity for leaving uh, for 18 years. I mean, come on, it, it's it's a crazy thing. To, and I'm not saying your father is saying this. I'm just saying this is sort of my impression or whatever, right? But but uh, yeah, I would uh, I would strongly resist the idea that you sort of both need to sit down as if you're both responsible for the relationship in equal portion
1: yeah and and when he originally brought up the idea that we both go in, it reminded me of a time when it was probably about a year before my mom stopped living with us, and she and I were having these really just terrible interactions because she was being so highly irrational, like it was to the point where I would see her in her room whispering uh, you know i'd ask her what she's doing oh she's praying and uh and her her sort of uh, mental decline, I didn't. <clears throat> I obviously didn't understand what the childhood have to had to do with that. I obviously didn't understand any context for you know mental illness. Um, I. I guess I I sort of held her to the same standard that I would anyone else because that you know that I was just a foreign idea to me like. Uh, The fact that she was doing that and so so we would have all these arguments and eventually she took us both in to see a therapist and uh, I don't remember much about it but I remember there being just a whole bunch of crap that I never uh, like a whole bunch of crap coming from the therapist about how oh uh, like this is all I remember the family is a unit and when your mom's trying to get you to blah 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 it's all for the best and like like for having me he was basically telling me to conform to her wishes when sure. she sure. was making these just blatantly just foolish and irrational uh ideas
0: right i mean and look i this is not to like therapists as a whole but there's you know who's paying the bills you know he who pays the piper calls the tune right and it's sort of like going to you know Coca-Cola hires an advertising company and it's like expecting those ads to come out critical of the sugar content of Coke, you know, for for uh, for therapists to side with the children when the parents are paying. Oh, yeah, takes a funny. lot of integrity as a parent, as as a therapist.
1: Yeah, and yeah, it. it I, I didn't think yeah. about that too much yesterday, but now uh, now I'm starting to remember what that was like. Yeah,
0: yeah. So and look, I I had the same. Uh, nonsense when my mom called the cops on me uh, came came in and you know, I'm sobbing and she's been beating me up and stuff and they're like, you know, it's a generation gap that you have between you and your mom, you know, you just, you need to listen to her you need to, you know, whatever, right? It's like okay I'll listen to you now but I'm going to expose your moral nature in 30 years, how's that for a deal? <laughs> that's the best I can do that's yeah. the best I can do with the power that I have right now
1: Yeah, yeah
0: All right, so listen, let me get on some other callers, but I really do appreciate your time. Uh, I absolutely admire your courage and what you're doing, and uh, I um, uh, do keep me posted if you can. Oh, yeah, certainly.
1: Thank you so much, Steph.
0: You're welcome, man. All the best.
1: Okay, bye.
0: All right. We have room. While we're waiting, don't forget to check out a beautiful new video that my good friend Luke has put together. Uh, it is so uh, You can get to it at com forward slash Amazon. Uh, or you can go on YouTube and you can do a search for boobs. And if I remember rightly, when you do that, uh, pretty much all you get is philosophical content. Uh, that's my strong memory of it. Uh, or at least some curvy platonic forms, something like that. So uh, you might want to make sure you check out that video. And if you can share it at all, that would be fantastic. And uh, if you want to check out the um, animator, you can go to youtube.com forward slash. <laughs> let me try that again. <laughs> let me pretend I have lips and a tongue. YouTube.com forward slash user forward slash Luke Besse, Bessey, That's uh, He's got some great videos there too. Am I going to unschool my daughter? I am not sure. That's going to be one of these cross those bridges when we come to it kind of thing. So I'm not sure. I'm definitely mulling it over there. Ah, I tell you, you know, I mean, parenting is is a lot of fun. And, um, but the other day, oh, it's too beautiful for words. I was, um, uh, Isabella was, she was a little tired, which is unusual. She had just had a sort of light, light nap or a short nap. Uh, sorry, just one sec. And uh, I was uh, just lying in the in the red red room, and uh, we sort of she likes to sort of being covered up with pillows and coming out and so on. We were playing with that, and then she basically just sort of I was lying on the floor because she told me, "Dada, lie on carpet." <laughs> and uh, she just kind of slid down off the couch and just nestled into the crook of my arm. And uh, it was really dark in the room. Just overhead, we could see these little sort of lined half moons of the lights of cars going by in the cold winter air and it was very quiet couldn't even really hear any planes it was it was very quiet and uh, she just sort of lay nestled in the crook of my arms which is very unusual for a two-year-old I mean it's a it's um pretty uh it's it's a pretty active uh, scenario for her and it was at least an hour that we just sort of lay there very calm very quiet with just the light sweeping over the Ceiling and coming through the blinds. And we would just do, we sang a little song or two. I told her a couple of stories and uh, asked her a couple of questions and uh, she chatted. And sometimes she wouldn't even say yes or no. She would just sort of nod. And I can feel her little head nestled in my arms and all of that. And oh, it was absolutely just, just beautiful. And uh, those kinds of memories in parenting are things that you. You go into your deathbed with a smile with those things in your head. And uh, I just hope that uh, parents can have those kinds of memories more often. I hope I can have those, even those kinds of truly beautiful memories more often. So I'm sorry about that. Uh, please uh, please continue with your question.
2: Hey, can you hear me? I sure can. How are you doing, Steph? My name is Harrison. Hi, Harrison. Um, all right. I got a few quick questions. Um, I posted on a girl's Facebook wall the story of your enslavement, and the story of your enslavement And uh, she posted this back. I'm going to post this in the chat room so you can read it. Sure. Okay. This is what she said. I'm curious on how you will debunk this. I gave her back a message in and of itself. Do you want me to uh, – let me just read this. Is
0: that what you yeah. mean? Yeah. Go ahead. Okay, so she wrote, that was interesting, but at the same time, I have to say – that that was also just absolute propaganda. <laughs> Not just a little bit, but absolute propaganda. Stefan Molyneux's videos are essentially just badly made montages trying to preach a backwards and poorly thought out viewpoint. He's unrealistic and he has no evidence to back up his claims, just pictures of animals being tortured, spliced alongside pictures of human beings being tortured, to try and make some sort of vague metaphor. He seems like a hypocrite saying that the state is brainwashing you, while at the same time making his own attempt at brainwashing and enforcing his worldview. If both are attempts to brainwash, then I suppose you just have to pick your poison. I only trust facts, not angry Canadian bloggers. Right. And what is it that you would like to, me to respond to?
2: Well, I'm just curious of what you think. I, I responded to her thing about, okay, explain. Well, me. Sorry,
0: this before, why, why are you in a conversation with this person to, to begin with? I'm not saying you shouldn't be. I'm just sort of curious what the relationship is and why you post uh, it and why you care about her response or...
2: Just curious. I, w- I was in New York City with a friend for New Year's Eve. It's one of his girlfriends from college that he's friendly with, and we got into to discussion about government, et cetera, et cetera. I brought up anarcho-capitalism type ideas, and it, it went from there. She enjoyed my conversation. I, I guess I got through to her to some degree. She wanted to know more about it, but um, when I sent her your videos, this is what she came back with. Um, I did respond to her saying, what exactly is backwards and poorly thought out? And how is is he unrealistic and what evidence do you have to disprove Stefan? Um, The only thing I wasn't sure about is what would I say in the attempt to brainwash? Because the only thing I could view is that the state is coercively putting us in school where you're not doing anything but posting freely on the internet.
0: And what did you get back?
2: I have not gotten anything back yet.
0: And when did you send it?
2: Just an hour ago. Oh,
0: okay. Well, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, I don't even know what to say. There's there's no content, right? I mean, right. it's just a bunch of angry adjectives, right? I don't know if you heard my recent video, but my default position is that whenever anybody criticizes me, particularly without any content, then they're going to be doing exactly what they're calling me doing, right? Like, right. so if they say, oh, Steph, you're straw manning, my first assumption, unless they provide evidence saying, well, in this you know video or podcast at this time you said this and you know whatever right right if they don't provide any specific evidence but they just use the pathetic and <laughs> ridiculous and embarrassingly retarded i'm not saying everybody who does this is embarrassingly retarded but the actual argument by adjective you know like if i if i pile enough adjectives on this uh, video you. can i discredit it uh, right. And it's it's intellectually vacuous. It's embarrassing. It is somebody who just says, look, I'm emotionally startled and frightened. It upsets me. I can't think, so I'm going to lash back. Uh, I, I, right? Because she says uh, <laughs> um, he has no evidence to back up his claims. Right. But as you rightly well, what evidence does she have to back up her, her judgments of what I'm doing?
2: Yeah. I mean, I guess some of these people also, they are not... Um, it's you know as Murray Rothbard says economics and all these things are dismal sciences and if you don't know about it and you have a loud crazy opinion it's not exactly the best thing but you know she'll say I'm against force as in the war and police but financial force I believe is okay so she's confused whatever I just have well and
0: look I mean so look the state is brainwashing you first of all my video does not say that the state is brainwashing you like in, 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 in not in the story of your enslavement To my memory, I don't recall saying that the state is brainwashing you, but here's the moral equivalent that she's attempting to set up, right? I mean, just pointing this out, I mean, you could spend an hour talking about the ridiculousness of this post and and the tragedy that this kind of state education produces. But you see, this is the equivalent that she is putting together. So uh, on the one hand, uh, the government uh, taxes parents so much that usually both of them have to work, which means that the children have to go into government-run or controlled Daycare, right? So basically, uh, the, the the parents are forced, largely not completely, but largely forced to hand over the children to the care of the state from the age of, you know, sometimes twelve weeks to six months to a year onwards, and then the parents are forced to pay. For the schools and forced to send their children to the schools or if they're rich, they can double pay by sending them to a private school. But for the most part, children are forced to be in schools and their parents are thrown in jail if they don't pay and their parents are thrown in jail if their children don't attend and their parents are thrown in jail, blah, blah, blah. Right. Right. It's compulsory. And this adopt- goes on. Yeah, this goes on for uh, so 16, 17 years or 18 years, I guess, if you get the kids young enough. Right. So there's an enforced, enclosed, entrapped, violently in, 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 inflicted system that goes on for including homework, right? Six to eight hours a day for 18 years, right? Yeah. On the other hand, there's a 12-minute video somewhere on the internet that no one was forced to pay for and that no one is ever forced to look at. All but
4: right, you see, yeah.
0: these the, these are the two equivalences that she's putting. She's putting this one monster, monolith, violently inflicted, coercively funded, 18-year process on one hand. And on the other hand, she's putting a 12-minute voluntary video and saying you know these these weigh about the same
2: right it's, it's absurd well it is i mean yeah. it's completely deranged yeah still del- all right um, let me get to two other things just out of curiosity i did send you a message via youtube no 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 no, get-
0: no, i'm not done with this yet
2: okay all right <laughs> I'm not done
0: with this yet and what i mean by that is i'm not done with you yet okay <laughs> right because my question is you met this woman right right And you know that I believe that we know everything we need to know about someone in the first few seconds, right? Mm -hmm. And that there's a hell of a lot of scientific evidence behind that, right? Right. So tell me, did this come as a surprise to you? And if so,
2: why? No, not at all. I mean, I love getting into the debates just as much as the next guy. No, no, no,
0: no, 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 no. (laughs) This is not a debate,
2: right? No, I'm referring to talking to her about it and trying to enlighten her about non-aggression principles. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This is why we, we speak and we go out and we meet someone new and you try to enlighten them, so to speak, on a different way of doing what we've been doing for all this time. And I never expect anyone to come openly arms. Oh, wow. You just brought me the answer to whatever be it. So this was not a surprise.
0: So it's not a surprise that this kind of, uh, uh, you know, nasty, empty and pretty vicious stuff was posted. No, not at all. Okay, so um, (laughs) tell me a little bit about why you're engaging at this level.
2: Uh, This level, as in, I I just, you know, okay, nice girl. We spoke, we sat down. It was mutual conversation. Nice girl. Wait, wait, wait.
0: Again, I'm I'm really sorry to be interrupting you, and I hope I'm not being too much of a hard ass. And you can tell me to get lost if you want. But nice, nice girl. Really, because I mean, you know, what what you've read to me, uh, this is not coming from uh, a nice girl, right?
2: It's she's Okay, in the abstract, maybe she's not a nice girl in the sense that she views you as attacking her system of thought whatever, be it. That's that's one thing. She's a nice girl. As in, she doesn't want to harm anyone. She has good intentions, and we know the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Uh, sorry, how do you know that she doesn't want to harm anyone?
0: Does she support public education?
2: Of course she supports all the stuff that we know as the non-aggression principle core that – she wants to harm everyone in that sense. We we understand that, but
0: all right. Do you think I that she think was attempting just, to harm me uh, in this post? <clears throat>
2: um, I don't know. If, I think it's kind of broad as in, if she wanted to harm you, I think maybe, maybe she was getting at, she's just venting whatever I threw at her as she's trying to bounce it off. I, I don't really know where it's coming from. But
0: well, you get that she's morally equating me to the all violent state, right?
2: Absolutely, absolutely. And so, she will either uh, recognize that absurdity or not recognize it, and that's up to her. And I, I posted the videos because I think your stuff is absolutely up there with the great, the great works of what it is. I love UPB and all of it, but uh, I did what I did to see what she could do, and I wanted to see what you had to say about the brainwashing from. I guarantee you that you did not um, – look,
0: I'm going to be a completely annoying and a complete know-it-all and tell me again to get lost if I'm being uh, over the top or, or getting in your face. But but you posted this to me, I believe, because this is an ugly interaction that you had. Uh, this is unpleasant, right? And and I think that you, you – if you've talked to this woman for some time beforehand, then uh, you had more than enough information to know what kind of person she was. And my concern is that – uh, you you're not aware of the signs that lead towards somebody who can be this kind of, you know, I I hesitate to say verbally abusive, but it's, it's not that far off, right?
2: Well, I'm sure you've been in the same boat of where you sit down with someone that you've never met before and you have a discussion and it'll never work because they're whatever they are in their own viewpoint. They're communist. Da, 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 da. I met this girl for three hours, one night in New York City, and we became friends on Facebook. I thought maybe I could send her some information. And this is what came back, so I'm not, it's not the end of the world. I'll go back to my girlfriend who understands it, and I'll enjoy life.
0: Okay, so what you're saying is you don't want to explode this anymore, right?
2: No, I, I mean, it just—I wanted to see what you had to say about it, and I basically what you said, I took your type of structure and said, well, he's no evidence to back up his claims. I said, well, where are your evidence? I used, I used your structure to, to replay it to her, and we'll see what happens. Otherwise, I'm going to let it slide.
0: Okay. Yeah. Look, if you don't want to talk about it anymore, that's uh, that's no problem, and I appreciate sure. you bringing it
2: up. Yeah, I just have one one more question, quickly on something that I was sent to you on YouTube. I was curious. I know that I'm I'm on the same page as you as well with religion, but you did. I just like okay. Last night, I found out Murray Rothbard apparently was in a rent-controlled apartment in San Francisco, and he was married to a Catholic. So. Even from that perspective, I have to add. And he was an academic.
0: <laughs> so he's got state protection from the union, right?
2: Absolutely. So I assume I, I haven't I, – Murray Rothbard is one of your big influences?
0: No, uh, that he's he's that? not actually, no. I mean I didn't get into Murray Rothbard until after I started Free Domain Radio. So I was already an anarchist. I already had the DRO theory, which is, you know, maybe there was some repetition. Uh, I don't consider him to be uh, a, a big influence on me uh, and um, – I also find his writing style to be – I mean, I tried to get through his Great Depression book and uh, found like I was being repeatedly clubbed with fuzzy, sleep-inducing sheep. Uh, So uh, I think that uh, uh, – but that having been said, this is all prior to the internet, so there were much fewer avenues for people to get these kinds of thoughts out. Uh, beforehand. And, uh, I think that he spent a lot of time working on some seriously academic stuff. Like he had these, this history of economics that he was working on for, I don't know, 10 or 20 years that was never finished. And I think that he could have spent a little bit more energy, uh, working on, uh, you know, working out some of the sort of more personal implementations of philosophy. But, um, uh, so no, I, I think he was obviously a brilliant guy and, uh, way ahead of his time, uh, as far as that kind of thinking goes. But I think that he could have, lived it a little more and wrote about it a little less, if that makes any sense.
2: I hear you. So well, I was, I was equating that to this. So Roy Rothbard rent, rent controlled apartment, uh, against all government interference. I just am curious of the, 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 whatever the mirror effect, the mirror of that was that you said the other day, you know, Merry Christmas, all this other stuff. And I'm just curious. Do you have a Christmas tree in your house? Do you celebrate any kind of thing like that with your daughter? And if so, is that a, uh, contradiction in and of itself? i was just curious
0: sorry you're equating if i have a christmas tree with Mari rathbad taking state-controlled
2: in the sense of rent? or you're you're 100 opposed to religion i i my yeah own. but uh, look i
0: yeah i'm 100 percent opposed to religion i'm not 100 percent opposed to trees with lights on them i think they're quite pretty
2: and and it just okay so no look i'm happy not, to hear the criticism it? i just want to
0: make sure i understand right Look, first of all, Christmas trees have nothing to do with Christianity. They're a celebration of the winter solstice, which is, damn, winter has gone on for a long time. Uh, We're right at the bottom of the trough, so we have to light up the shack a little bit because we're all sick of winter and we've got a couple of months to go. So uh, it is a fundamentally secular tradition to do with lightening up the home during the darkest times of winter. So it doesn't have anything to do with Christianity, right?
2: Right, I understand on that, but you don't think that in the, you know, Reality that you're going, it's like you're going buying Christmas during Christmas time for the Christians, wherever it is, you're going to the mall and buying daughters' gifts, etc. etc. I just thought maybe the way that I found it about Rothbard, who's a huge influence, that he's in a rent control department, that's hugely hypocritical in my viewpoint. And it's just is like, as you but
0: said, but that, so that also I, relies on the initiation of force, right? Right. How does the Christmas tree, me buying a Christmas tree, uh, rely on the initiation of force?
2: Well, you know, it doesn't necessarily rely on the initiation of force, but aren't you? If you're doing that, aren't you putting your daughter in that sense of the realm of that you're acknowledging that or aren't you putting yourself? I just – Acknowledging
0: very... that. What, what do you uh, mean? sorry, acknowledging that. Of course I'm acknowledging it. Christmas exists and uh, has been largely taken over by Christian organizations and is considered to be a Christian holiday. I acknowledge that. That's part of reality. I mean I'm not going to say – you know, if she sees a church on the corner, I'm not going to say there's no church there. There's just a smoking crater of, you know, fantasy. No. Right, she's right. going to see churches. She's going to see people who are religious. She saw Santa Claus. She's going to see Christmas trees. I'm not going to pretend that these things don't exist. I'm also not going to pretend that they're fundamentally religious because they're not. Right now, if I said, you know, Santa Claus and Jesus both tag team to bring us this Christmas tree, and uh, if you don't kneel before it, you're going to go to hell and burn forever, then that would be pretty nasty. But if I say, here's a pretty tree with some lights on it, don't you think that's pretty beautiful? And she says, well, yeah, uh, then I think that is not anything to do with a sanctioning of religion in any way, shape, or form.
2: Okay, I understand. I I just find, you know, I find you very intriguing, and I love your work. Same with Rothbard. I just saw that as maybe some kind of thing that I just didn't know I need to to ask you, but uh – Keep it up, man. You, you do you do the world a great service, and I appreciate it through and throughout. So, well,
0: thank you so much, and I, I appreciate you sending the video around. I really do, and I certainly do appreciate you posting that that kind of feedback, Mac. I used to get a lot more of that. I don't really so much anymore, but uh, I what's, uh, what's that? What, I think it is always. You, sorry. What what feedback? you're saying oh the feedback from the this uh, this woman that you you talked to i thought oh, it was okay. i thought it was interesting and it's always good i think because whenever you try to do anything in this world right i mean you you, you hold up one finger ten thousand people are going to scream at you that it ought to be a thumb and that you're right. completely wrong for doing the finger and uh, that just makes you put up another finger at least for me <laughs>
2: one, yeah i right mean the one. as i said I've, I've glazed over your videos and i kind of fell away from you for a while but i've come back and this is obviously the first time i'm speaking to you so great talking to you
0: and nice talking with you too and have yourself a wonderful new year. I hope you had a great Christmas and a very happy new year.
2: You got it man. Thank you very much. Enjoy the enjoy the night.
0: All the best. Bye-bye. Now everybody, oh little star of bethlehem. Anyway, all right. Thank you so much. I think we uh, have time for another. Hi Steph. Hello. <laughs>
2: yeah,
0: okay. Um,
4: I have a question about
2: uh, are
0: stand back from the microphone a little bit. You're you're <laughs> kind of glaring.
4: I'm sorry. Um, So I have a question about uh, a Christmas party I went to a few days ago and um, my brother was there uh, during the the year I decided not to see him anymore but uh, I saw him there and um, the first thing he said, uh, the only thing he said to me was, uh, look uh, if you're not going to talk to me anymore uh, or to us anymore, his wife included, then you don't have to talk with my child anymore either. And then uh, the whole evening, he was pulling away his child. Uh, so I'm the godfather of his child. And the child constantly like, came to me. Uh, not constantly, but regularly. And, right. and he constantly, and together with his wife, they pulled her away. Um, and then also, uh, at one moment, he was just staring at me. And I, I looked at him back, and he was just pulling stupid faces at me. So I ignored that. But sorry, your your brother, the adult, was pulling stupid yes, faces at you. Yes. Right. Okay. So like we did when we were young, eh? like looking at the other, like he's stupid, eh? and just making the other one angry just by staring stupid at him. So he was doing that. So, but after the Christmas party, uh, and the next day I really had a bad feeling, like look, I don't want to do that again next year. Uh, It was painful for me to have the child being pulled away constantly. Uh, The other people see that. Um, It was just not pleasant for me. Um, But I did. So I decided I'm not going to do that again next year. But then the other brother says to me, look, uh, then he wins because that was his objective. eh? And then you won't see that family anymore. And... uh, and he wins, so I wouldn't do that. I would go back. And uh, but what what would you do? What do what do you think about that? What would you do next year? Like,
0: gosh, that's a that's a tough question. Um, I don't, of course, know know the whole history. Um, why did you stop talking to your
2: brother?
4: Well, he together with his wife, whenever I uh, or uh, and with them, they insult me. Uh, like they say things like I'm a freak, or or they they just say what I have to do with my life. It's constantly a, a fight, actually. So I'm really I don't want that anymore. Uh, it's not pleasant to be with them.
0: And are other th- uh, other family members that you or other people there that you like to see that you can't see in other contexts?
4: Yes, cousins. I, I can see them in other contexts, but okay, then I have to do that myself, uh, normally I, I only see them once there uh, every year. Huh? Right.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think, I mean, if I were in your situation, I would create an alternate um, social engagement where I could see the people that I wanted to see and not see the people who I didn't want to see. I mean, take take that initiative and, and do it that way. Uh,
4: yes, okay, I agree with that. So, But like what do you think that he 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 wins that way he wins that way i'm sorry he what yeah he wins huh?
0: i'm not coming oh what do you mean he- no 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 look i mean that's uh, uh, first of all i mean if you if you get what you want then it's not like you lose right so let me sort of give you an example right so uh, if if there's some restaurant that you go to and you see the waiter spit in your sandwich and you say, well, I'm going to try and tell the boss, but if the boss doesn't do anything and says, no, that's the waiter you're always going to get, then you say, well, I'm not going back to that restaurant. Does that mean you have lost and the restaurant owner has won? No, it just means you're not going back there because you're being badly treated and you can't change it. And you obviously, I mean, I assume you've tried and you can't change your brother's behavior and this is astoundingly horrible and immature that he would be keeping his children away and making faces at you i mean that's just bizarre on so many different levels and and ugly and unpleasant and so it's not like if if you assert your voluntary choice in relationships and locations it's not like your brother wins uh it's what does he win i mean so Other people get two parties instead of one. That's not a bad thing and you get to see the people that you like and you don't have to see the people that you don't like. And I'm sorry that uh, your godchildren are involved. I mean that's just terrible but often quite inevitable. But uh, I wouldn't get involved in that kind of who wins and who loses. Uh, That is a very very, uh, provocative way to look at it. Uh, My my brother tried the same thing, right? So I said, I don't want to see my mom because she does X, Y, and Z. It's like, oh, well, then she's controlling your behavior and she wins. It's like, okay, so she wins. I mean, so that's fine. She can win, but I still am not going to spend time with people that I don't like, right? So, I mean, if they want to call that her winning and me losing, then... That's fine. You know, if, if the restaurant manager thinks that he's won because I don't go back to his restaurant because his beloved waiter spat in my sandwich, it's like, okay, then he can call that a victory. But I'm still not going to eat sandwiches with spit in them. <laughs> I'm going to call that a victory.
4: Mm-hmm. Yes, well, I, I agree with you. So uh, thank you for that answer. Um, another problem I have is uh, like uh, I'm, I'm in, a, in a fight with my family now about uh, property I own together with them. But they don't want to divide it. I want my part of it and sell it, but they don't want to cooperate with that. So uh, I've taken a strong stance, and I, I, I'm about to start with a court case against them, so that they, so that the court divides the building, uh, and I, I can sell my part. But. I'm, I'm, I'm still thinking like I could play it the other way like I have always learned to like being nice to them eh? and then they, you will get some bones thrown to you eh? but you will get at least something eh? but now I've changed that strategy and I say look it's, I'm not being nice anymore I ask what is mine eh? um, and, and that, then now they are counteracting stronger like I don't get anything anymore eh? so uh, but like sometimes in life, I think it's maybe smarter. Uh, like if if I could, make, if I'm being nice now. I could f- maybe get an agreement with them and I would have a lot of more money left than if I start a court case for years and um, yeah, that could ruin a lot of the financial uh, gains in that property. So I don't know. Uh, like, what would you do if you own something with your brother uh, and, um, and uh, would you play the nice guy or just, yeah, go to court? Uh, I wouldn't do either.
0: And I, I can tell you this from experience. And look, I, I don't know the details of your situation, and no one can tell you what to do. But I can tell you what I did is I just walked away. Yeah, there was money involved. Yeah, there was property uh, to a certain degree involved. I just I just walked away.
4: Yeah, but there's a lot of money uh, that you're leaving behind.
0: Sure, sure. Sure, but so what? I can make more money. You know, because what I did was I said, okay, I mean, just sort of in my own mind, I said, okay, well, this doesn't really matter the amount, but it was quite a bit, right? It's this amount of money, and uh, if I go for it, it's going to take probably this many hours, right? So I divided the hours into the money, and I said, okay, so this, you know, is a certain amount of money per hour that I'm going to have to spend dealing with this shit, right? And would I, you know, would I, do I want to, right? Now, if it's a million dollars an hour, then yeah, it's probably worth it, right? If it's $10 an hour, probably not, given that there's no certainty in the outcome of any court case uh, that you could end up not only uh, not getting what you want, you might end even end up with legal fees being assessed against you, and you might be in the hole uh, uh, rather than getting something, uh, that this could drag on for years, uh, and that not only... Is it the time you actually spend on the court case, but it's all the time you spend frustrated and thinking about it and pissed off and waiting for something to come back and flinching every time you get a registered letter or whatever, right? I mean, look, I I don't know the amount involved, and it doesn't matter. Uh, It doesn't matter to me. Obviously, it matters to you. But I would at least explore the opportunity or the option of of just walking away, of just, just walking away from it. What is your time and peace of mind and happiness worth? And are you trying to bring justice and vengeance against an irrational and manipulative family system, if that's what you're facing? Uh, I, for me, it wasn't worth it, and I don't regret that decision for a moment, but that's completely up to you. I just would question whether it's, uh, whether it's worth it.
4: Okay, great. Uh, thanks for that answer, Steph. Uh, can I throw in another question? or uh, another f- uh, There are a lot of people waiting.
0: Uh, Let me just ask uh, Buddy J. James, do we have anyone on deck?
1: Uh, I don't know offhand. Uh, See if anyone on the call wants to speak up, but um, nobody. Hang on just a
0: sec. We'll come back, but just want to make sure if we get anybody else. I have a quick question. Uh, Is this a new caller? Yeah, I'm sorry. I just want to make sure we get everyone, and you got your, your two licks in, but I, I hope that it works out, and I'm sorry that you are facing Thanks this of stuff. For your uh, for your
4: answers. It's really helpful. To me. Thanks a lot.
0: Oh, not exactly answers, just perspectives, but uh, uh, okay. So, sorry, we had somebody else?
3: Yeah. Am I coming through
0: all right? Uh, yeah, actually, uh, sounds good. <laughs> it doesn't okay. sound like you're shouting into a yogurt cup, so <laughs> good.
3: <laughs> okay, so... I. I've uh, seen a number of FDR listeners had been conversing with each other, uh, you know, seeing Facebook statuses and a little bit of myself doing this. And, you know, it seems that some of us are trying to get self-knowledge out of some of these talks. And I was wondering if you had any guidelines or suggestions as to how we could approach these to greater achieve that goal of self-knowledge
0: tell me more I just want to make Um, sure I get the framework of more detail of what you're talking about
3: well sometimes people will have a particular feeling that they're trying to work out or a certain issue like oh I've got problems with procrastination or dealing with my siblings or something and they talk to other FDR listeners and hope to gain more knowledge about themselves or, you know, what have you. And I was wondering if you had any ideas as to how we might be able to approach this to make better use of that time together, um, either as the person hoping for help or as the person trying to help out.
0: Right. Right. Well, um, that's a, that's a big topic and, uh, I can just give you a few thoughts that pop into my mind.
3: Yeah. Whether... When
0: you're, when you're talking about sort of detailed and complex topics of self-knowledge or emotional topics, I find that listening is an unconscious process. In other words, you should drink yourself into oblivion before starting it. It's an unconscious process. And what I mean by that is when I'm listening to someone, I'm really listening to what it is that they're saying, and I'm listening to the sound in my heart that their words make when they fall in, right? So it's sort of like if you want to measure a well, you maybe drop some coins in and you'll listen to them bouncing off the side of the well, and then there'll be a sploosh at the bottom. So I'm listening to the sound or the effect that their words are having on me when they're talking. So when I was just talking to the fellow at the beginning of the call, he was telling me about his his father uh, and his father um, or his mom, I think, stopped hitting him when he was old enough to resist or avoid or fight back. Then those words, uh, I felt uh, uh, anger arise in me. And I think then I sort of expressed what I was thinking about in terms of that anger. I think that very often we look at communication in relationships like it's a talking stick. You know, like this old cheesy thing where families, only one person gets to hold the stick and talk. So it's like, if I feel, then my feelings eclipse you. And if you feel, then your feelings eclipse me. So if you're feeling something really strong like you're crying or, or you're really angry or something, then I have to focus on what you feel and I have to shut down my own feelings so that I can really focus on you, right? Sort of like a, uh, I don't know, you're a surgeon and you're in a car crack, big car pile up with 20 cars and you get hurt in your back, but it's not too bad. Then you kind of have to ignore that back pain while you're focusing on saving people who've received terrible wounds to the head or something, right? So it's like, if somebody gets really emotional, it's like, okay, I have to shut down my feelings and I have to focus on their feelings. And I think that is a a mistake. Uh, I think that is where a lot of conversations stall. And I think that's where a lot of loneliness increases. What we want to be when we're emotional is not in the presence of somebody who's entirely focused on us, but we want to be connected with someone who is connected with himself or herself. So when somebody is trying to deal with something that is emotional uh, or is feeling very strong feelings, I think the true connection comes when you feel and honestly express your reactions to those feelings, you know, without making it about you and this and that and the other. And unfortunately, I think, and if you remember the how this, this man described his father's defenses, that his father made it all about him and my feelings and my childhood, my father did this and that. That's an example that we often get, right? So then some, we feel something, right? So this, this, this young man was trying to, I think he's a young man, was trying to talk about his uh, upset over the spanking assaults. And his father, uh, according to his reports, you know, eclipsed it and began talking about his own childhood and his own history. And I think that we experience that so often in our upbringing that we often believe that if we start talking about our experiences when somebody else is being upset or somebody else is feeling something very strong, that we are somehow eclipsing or denying their emotional experience. And I think it's really important that we, we listen to the person and we listen to our response to the person. We can meet intellectually through... Uh, argument through debate through information through that kind of data sharing but i think that where real intimacy growth love affection friendship passion where all of that stuff is when we can both feel at the same time and it's not win lose and it's not like two kids on a seesaw one person feels more the other person must immediately dial it down to make room but where we both can be passionate and we can both Be present. We can both have feelings. We can both be connected to ourselves. And through that connection to ourselves, we connect to each other. You have to know how to work your arms in order to give someone a hug. You if somebody comes up to hug you, there's no point just standing there like you're a surfboard, (laughs) because that's perceived as a rejection. So when somebody gets emotional, sometimes or all too often, our response is to freeze oh, okay, I have to put myself aside and cater to this person like they're wounded and I'm healthy. But I think that's uh, a mistake that is easily understandable based on the history that uh, a lot of us have, and I think most of us have. And I would really focus on, to help people with their emotions the most, focus on how you are perceiving and honestly communicate your experience of the other person and invite them to do the same. I think that is the greatest advantage. You can't think through these things in an intellectual way. The soul is understood by the soul, not by the frontal lobes or the left ventricle of the heart. And by the soul, I simply mean the entire combination of being, that is physical sensation, intellectual thoughts, unconscious imagery, feeling, the the entire being of a human being, which is everything that you're experiencing. It is in that acceptance of our entire experience, which is wrapped up with and includes the other person who's talking, that we get real intimacy, that we can join together in reality. And so if you attempt to help somebody without relying on your unconscious, then you're attempting to deal with unconscious stuff without using your own unconscious. And that means you will be vastly outclassed And outmatched because the unconscious, according to a good deal of research, is several thousand times, six, seven thousand times faster at processing wide spectrum information. And so, if emotions are coming up, then the conscious mind. So, if emotions are coming up in the other person, that's an unconscious, massive processing. And if you are not in touch with your own unconscious and your own deep listening at that time, then it will be unconscious meeting conscious. And what that is, is sort of like a tsunami rushing over a hermit crab (laughs) there's not any particular connection does that uh, make any sense
3: yeah yeah it does um yeah and i thank you for your suggestions there and if you have any other like if you've got a lot more that you could say on that i'd certainly love to hear a podcast on that subject and from the looks of it there's probably a lot of people that would benefit from that And
0: uh, what would be a good topic name for that? I'll I'll add this to the list right now because I'm a slave to you. So what? uh, What should I add it as a title?
3: Um, I really don't know at the moment. Um.
0: We'll call it deep contact. Sure. <laughs> it sounds like uh, either bad science fiction or bad porn, but that's all I could come up with in the moment because that's my creative process, so to speak. So, all that's right. all right. <laughs> well, thanks very much. I appreciate it. It's a very good uh, <laughs> bad porn. Wait, <laughs> an oxymoron. <laughs> that's what you're going to type next, right? Okay, well, thank you very much. It's a great question. Uh, and um, yeah, sorry, we don't have room for another. Two questions. Uh, Somebody wants to type one. We still have a minute or two. If you wanted to type into the chat room, I would be happy to take one more shorty short question. Somebody says, I would love a podcast on dissociation or emotional numbing, chronic emotional numbing, if you know anything about it. I'm not a uh, big expert on emotional numbing. uh, So I would not be very good i think at at talking about that but i'll I'll mull it over any upcoming speaking events yes i am on alex jones tv tomorrow believe it or not so we're back baby and um, i'm doing a uh, college presentation on upb uh, in january but i don't know if it's open to outsiders although of course i will record it uh, as best as i can what did santa bring for izzy uh we not santa she's not a big fan of santa she finds it a little little creepy i think but um no we brought uh, she got a a a great easel uh which uh, she just loved and uh, we spent the day sort of setting it up and uh, teaching her how to use the chalk which she then promptly transferred to i don't know every material substance known to mankind in the house so all right so anything else All right. Well, thank you everybody so much. And, um, it's one of my favorite times of the week being able to have conversations with you, brilliant, wonderful, magnificent, delicious, and courageous people. This, um, and I was, I was talking about this with a listener this week. Um, you know, this is a, uh, this is a pretty important movement that we're doing here. And, I really do invite people, as and when they feel comfortable, to take on leadership roles in the realm of philosophy. I think time is pressing. I think it's important to act sooner rather than later. I think it's important to act decisively rather than rashly. But I think that the opportunity to get in at the ground floor Of a powerful, necessary, and virtuous movement is not common. I don't think that it's going to happen again in my lifetime for me. I don't think it's going to happen again in your lifetime for you. I think it is a powerful opportunity to take on a leadership role, to, in a sense, get in at the ground floor of the world, of a movement that the world needs the most, I think. And I would invite you to consider this as an opportunity. Uh, consider this as a possibility that 2011 could be the year that you really step up for philosophy and really take on a leadership role to really help the world. If not now, when? And if not you, who? I think it's an extremely rare And I think it's an extremely powerful opportunity. I think it's something that you will not have cause to regret. I think it's something that if you have the capacity to do but don't do it, you will have cause to regret. And I just would really like to invite people to look at that as a possibility, to be heroic in the realm of philosophy in the world this year. I mean, show's been running for half a decade now, and there certainly are stirrings of leadership eruptions in the community, which I think is fantastic. I just wanted to strongly urge people to take that on, to take it up, and to move it forward. This is a conversation that the world needs in order to survive, in order to flourish, in order to avoid a pretty grim catastrophe, a potential dark age. We don't want to be the fragments of MP3 files and (laughs) forum conversations that are rediscovered 500 years from now as the world crawls out of the wreckage of a highly technological fascism, if it even ever does. We don't want to be the rediscovery of the ancient philosophers that occurred in the Middle Ages through the paths of the Muslim philosophers. We don't want to be the rediscovered fragments of an old philosophy that was unable to turn the tide of the growing evils of the world. I think we want to stand up like a shining statue like many golden gods against the rising tide of irrationality and justified violence child abuse and it may be that we don't turn back the tide it may be that we go underwater but I think it should not be because we could have done more but didn't and I would also strongly suggest that you know, don't do this because you have a responsibility to the world Don't do this because you have a responsibility to the future. That is not a way to motivate anyone, at least avoid yourself. I would say do it because of the immense pleasure and pride that comes out of making a genuine difference in the world. I would say do it because the flexing of the mightiest muscles of the mind is a grand and powerful and disorienting and glorious and decisive sport. And it's a sport in which there are no losers except the bad guys. (laughs) And that is a great game to be in. So thank you, everybody, again so much. Have yourself a wonderful, wonderful week.